Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The unique feature of the Christian message and the gospel is that God is inviting individual human beings to come into a personal experiential relationship with himself. That's the essence of what the gospel is calling us to. And you can't find this anywhere else. There's no other religion in the world that offers this kind of a relationship with God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews chapter 9 in a message titled, The Blood of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Let me just say this before we move on to verse 9. So God's intention, or his intended response from us, to the Spirit's work toward us, is the fruit of continuing to love and serve Jesus. The fruit of continuing to love and serve Jesus. See, at the end of the day, the the final ultimate proof of our salvation is that we continue to love and serve Jesus. Whatever your theological position is, whether you believe a believer can lose their salvation or not, it isn't really so much the point. The main point is the Bible never gives us comfort in our sin, like, hey, it's okay, just stay in sin, it's all going to be all right, you're saved, and don't worry about it. The Bible never gives us that. Whenever the Bible addresses men in sin, it always calls us to repent, to get out of sin. So the Bible never gives us that kind of security in our sin, and God's Word is always reminding us that true faith shows itself in continuation. True faith shows itself in continuance. I'm continuing to believe in him. I'm continuing to seek him. I'm continuing to follow him. And of course, implied in that is continuing to obey him. When I sin, I repent and God, you know, cleanses me and I I keep moving forward in Christ. Now, like I said, this is, I believe, a very unusual, extraordinary, extreme situation that he's describing, because look what he says in verse 9. He says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So in some ways, and, and I want you to notice here, he goes from this very severe and strong warning, he turns immediately to encouragement, and that's the way he does all throughout this epistle, because he's wanting to shake them up. He's wanting them to recognize the danger that they're in. You can't just go in and out of the relationship with God. You know, there, there is that point where God will hold us accountable. But to encourage, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. Notice that, things that accompany salvation. Salvation is accompanied by things. It, there, there are indicators. And the main indicator that he is pressing here is that indicator of continuing on with Jesus, continuing 
to follow him. And then he says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So look at just these four things that he he talks about here. Confident of better things. And then God is not unfaithful to forget your work and labor of love. So they had demonstrated true faith. They had ministered to the saints. They, They had been serving the Lord. So he says, look, no, you know, I'm, I'm warning you about this as a possibility, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is the case with you, but make sure it's not the case with you. Make sure you're following through, keeping up with those things, your, your work and labor of love. God's not unjust. He, he knows all of that. He sees all of that. He knows that you've ministered. You know, their problem was they were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were being harassed for their faith. Things weren't going for them the way they had imagined that they would go. And so now they're, they're starting to draw back. He's saying, no, don't do that. And even though you haven't received the ultimate reward, God's not unjust. He knows your work. He knows what you've done. And, and there'll come a day. God will vindicate you. God will recompense you for these things. He's saying that, but he says that you show the same diligence of full assurance of hope to the end that you do not become sluggish, showing the same diligence. See, that's his exhortation all the way through. Keep going full speed. Don't slow down. Don't back off. Keep going with the same intensity that you experienced as Christ got a hold of your life. Keep that going. And even, you know, listen, even when you don't feel the things that you maybe felt before, and this is, this is the danger of feelings. We have to be careful because a lot of times we let feelings control us. But the Bible really teaches us that we have to press diligently forward regardless of how we feel knowing that feeling isn't the primary thing. Now, I love good spiritual feelings. I wish I had those kinds of warm feelings all the time, but I don't. But it doesn't mean I let up. It means uh, despite the fact that I don't have those feelings, I keep going. I keep pressing. I do what I know is right. I do what I know is true. And I, I keep moving forward. I'm saying I, but I'm talking, I'm including others. But, you know, that, that's just the way our spiritual life is. And, you know, we have the corresponding experience in our own, you know, just experience physically even. And there are times, those of you, you know this, if you work out or try to stay in shape or anything like that, you know, most of the time you don't really feel like doing that stuff. But you do it out of what? You do it out of discipline. You discipline yourself. There's a, there's a, you show the diligence not because you feel like it. When I, get up, when I wake up in the morning, the last thing I want to do is get out of my bed and go run five miles. That's the very last thing I want to do. But I usually do it because I know I need to. And so likewise, spiritually, we have to continue 
to discipline ourselves and we have to show diligence and not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience. You see, listen, this is the way every single Christian, every single believer in God, every generation of saints, this is the way it works for everybody. You need two things. You need faith and patience to ultimately inherit the promises of God. In the, the Christian life, there's no, there's no shortcut. There's no easy plan. There, there's none of this you know, overnight spiritual success. Just do these three things and it'll, your life will be perfect spiritually forever. You won't even have to think about it again. You know, it's like those advertisements, those diets and things, you know, lose 10 pounds this week, eat all you want, never do a bit of exercise, you know, just uh, here, take this pill and it'll take care of everything. Now, I don't think those things even work, but anything corresponding to that in the realm of the spirit, I can tell you for sure it doesn't work. It's a long trek. It's a long distance haul and it takes faith and patience. And he says, we are to imitate those. Now, for these Hebrew Christians in the city of Jerusalem, he points back to their founding father, Abraham, as his example. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiply and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured Underline those words, patiently endured. He obtained the promise. So you see, what the writer's showing them is, that, look, this is the way the life of faith is. This is exactly what happened with Abraham. Abraham received a promise when he was 75 years old. It wasn't fulfilled for 25 years. 25 years later, that promise was fulfilled. But then that wasn't the end of it. There were other things and more time involved in the, the final you know, fulfillment of all that God was doing, but he patiently endured. And as he remained faithful, he then obtained the promise. And then he says, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. The word immutable, you know, means unchangeableness. So God's promise is certain. It's unchangeable. God wanted to show how certain the promise was. So he confirmed it with an oath. So you've got two immutable things. One, God's promise. God's promise is immutable. That means it's, it doesn't change. When he gives a promise, it's, you can bet on it. You can stake your life on it. But not only does God give a promise, he adds to the promise an oath. So God not only promises, but then he swears that his promise is going to come to pass. So he's saying, you know, God's given us double assurance, really. And then he adds, of course, that God cannot lie, for it is impossible for God to lie. Since that's the case, we have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we come back around to Melchizedek. Remember, the author says, I want to tell you more about the the priestly ministry of Jesus. I want to tell you about the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek, but you're unfortunately, you're spiritually dull and you need to uh, advance before I can really share this information with you. And so now he comes back and as we move forward from here, he's going to go into that. But a few things in closing in verses 13 through 20. So he uses Abraham And he shows how Abraham patiently endured. And his point is that we must patiently wait as well. We must patiently wait as well. And this is true for the promises that God has made to us personally, whatever they might be. Maybe God's given you a promise. And because of the delay in the fulfillment of that promise, there's been a temptation to disbelief. There's been a temptation to wander away. There's been a a temptation even to just give up. You know, I've, I've just heard so many stories recently of people who, you know, because things haven't worked out the way they thought they should, they just decided, well, that's it. I'm, I'm giving up my faith. How, how can you do that? How can you just give up your faith? We're not to give up. We're to hold on and believe those promises, even though they are delayed or they seem like they're delayed. They're only delayed from our side. They're not delayed. God's, he's not late. He knows exactly when the promise needs to be fulfilled. But we don't know. And so we think that it should have been fulfilled already. So whether it's a personal thing or let me just take it out bigger and and more collectively, you know, for the church in the world today, I think it's pretty obvious that hard times are upon us and they're coming our way as followers of Christ. And there will be temptation for people to say, well, you know, I didn't sign up uh, to get persecuted as a Christian. I didn't sign up to, to lose my job because of my faith and things like that. And so there's going to be a temptation to to back off. There's going to be a temptation to compromise. There's going to be a temptation to draw back into a comfortable position and to not persevere. And God help us to not do that. And the pressure is going to be to compromise. The pressure is going to be to draw back. But the exhortation of Hebrews and why Hebrews is particularly relevant to us at this time is because that's the environment that these people were living in. They were living in an environment of persecution. And because the promises that they had put their trust in were not coming through in the time frame that they thought and getting them out of the predicament they were in, they were thinking, well, maybe we ought to just go back to something that's more comfortable. That's the pressure. That's the temptation that will come. The scripture and culture are more and more at odds. And we can't compromise to accommodate the culture. We have to stand firm. And that will bring us into conflict. It'll put us in many ways in hot water. What are we to do? 
we must do what they were exhorted to do. We must do what every generation of believers has done. We must persevere in faith. We must continue to trust God. Faith in God's promises shows that we are going on to maturity. You see, the mature person is the person who is standing on God's word and being faithful. That's how we, one of the ways that we can measure our growth. Am I becoming more mature? Am I able to persevere through the challenges? A deepening faith is seen by a greater endurance, a greater perseverance, a greater ability to go through hard times and to be faithful to the Lord, to continue to trust him. And so, like I said, whether that be just in personal circumstances that you find yourself in, or if we're looking at it collectively as the entire Christian church, the body of Christ throughout the nation, around the world, the call is, as we read here, to patiently endure and know that ultimately we will receive the promise. And this is the hope that we have that anchors the soul. This is what anchors our soul. And Jesus, as he says here in verse 19, he is entered behind the veil. He's the forerunner and he's the the guarantee to us. We're to keep looking to Jesus and knowing that he is faithful. And just as he persevered and God raised him up and and glorified him, so we have confidence in him that that is true for us, that he is going to do that. And so as we close, let me remind you of just a few things that we have through our faith in Christ. We have our sins forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. So whatever else is not happening like we wish it was, remember that. Your sins are forgiven. You're in good shape. You're no longer under the wrath of God. You're in his good favor. Our sins are forgiven. Secondly, remember we are members of God's family. We're part of God's family. And as this book's going to remind us later, we're pilgrims in this world. We're sojourners. This isn't our permanent residence. We're we're temporarily here. We belong to another world. We belong to another family. We're part of God's family. And then remember also that God intends for us to go deeper in our knowledge of him. And since that's his intention, we can expect to go through hard times because hard times take us deeper into our experience with God. That's just a reality of life. When we go through challenges and we have to cling to Jesus, what happens? We go deeper with him. We get to know him in ways that we previously had not known him. And so he wants to take us deeper with him. And then remember also that we have work to do for the kingdom. We have to keep going. Like I said earlier, we just have to keep going, pedal to the metal. We have to just full board, just, you know, don't let what's going on around you, whether it's personal or the bigger picture, don't let that stop you from doing what God has called you to do because he does have a work and a labor of love for all of us to be engaged in 
Let's not forget that. And finally, remember, and this is the big, this is the bigger promise. Now for these Hebrews, you know what happened? Let me just tell you. Their city was destroyed. They were in Jerusalem before the destruction of the city. And right at the end of the letter, he reminds them that here we have no continuing city. We seek the one to come. So that place that they were looking to go back to and find security in, now, of course, God knew that place wasn't going to be around for much longer. And it wasn't. It was probably just a matter of three or four years before the Romans uh, besieged the city and destroyed it. And my point is this. Their hope was not in an earthly paradise. Their hope was in the kingdom. And so remember that for us too. Our hope is not in, you know, listen. Our hope is not in recapturing America for traditional values or going back to the ideas of the forefathers. You know, that, that's not our hope. And that's highly unlikely that that would ever happen again. Our hope is a greater hope than that. Our hope is that Jesus will come again and all of God's promises will then be revealed. That's what we're living for. Not an earthly kingdom, not a situation on earth where, you know, life is rosy and everything's fine and we can just settle in and enjoy ourselves. All of those things have been nice and they are nice when we have the opportunities, but the reality is there's a huge cosmic conflict and we are right in the middle of it. We're part of it. And it's all going to culminate with Jesus coming back as the judge and the one who's going to set up God's kingdom. That is what we are waiting for. That's what we must persevere through to. Whether, and listen, you know, whether that means we're going to actually see it because it's going to happen in our lifetime or not, we persevere all the way through. Either we're going to see it because it's going to happen in our lifetime or we're going to see it because our lifetime is going to end and then we're going we're to enter it there. But let's not forget that in the world, we will have tribulation. If we start thinking that the world's supposed to be different, it's supposed to be accommodating to Christians and supposed to be a comfortable place where we can just settle down and have a good old time, our, our understanding is not New Testament. And I'm not wishing for hard times to come upon us, but I think reality tells us that they are on their way. So when the temptation comes to draw back, to pull back, to loosen our grip, to reconsider, to whatever, let's remember we need, just as every other saint has needed, we need faith and patience. And as we hold on, we will inherit those promises. But even though we wait for the ultimate fulfillment, the big picture of the return of Christ, don't forget your sins are forgiven. You're part of God's family. God wants to take you deeper with him, and he's got plenty of work for us to do. So God help us to be up. 
For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.